This is Think Smart with TMFG, your weekly podcast of what's newsworthy and relevant to everyday Canadians. With your hosts, Senior Financial Advisors, Rob McClelland and Mike Conan of the McClelland Financial Group of Asante Capital Management. Today on Think Smart with TMFG, we are going to be discussing liquid versus illiquid assets. Now, Mike, before we get into that discussion, I heard some news just this morning that that sort of shocked me a little bit. And it was that one of the, the great baseball players, Aaron Judge, the home run king, had just signed a new contract. He signed a contract for $350 million. Now, if you do the math on it, he's going to make about $40 million a year. But what struck me is that $350 million. It's a big number. You and I have been managing money now for over 30 years. And on behalf of all of our clients, we manage just $700 million. And here, Aaron's going to get that just to hit a baseball out of the park. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. But I think our chance of hitting that baseball as well as him. <laughs> pretty remote. Pretty remote. <laughs> so let's talk about liquidity. Liquidity is the ability to get to your money when you need it. And, you know, today, most liquid investments, you might be able to get that day or within a week is probably the longest it takes to get what we would call a liquid investment. An illiquid investment is something that might take you a lot longer to get that money. And you and I have always had a belief, at least for the last 20 years, that it is really important to keep our clients' portfolios 100% liquid. I think we've had some bad experiences in the past with illiquid investments, and it's given us bitter taste in our mouth uh, about them. We talked about Nick Murray recently, and he made a comment about, you know, when's the best time to buy an investment? When's the best time to sell an investment? I thought it was interesting. He said the best time to buy an investment is when you have the money. The best time to sell the investment is when you need the money. Forget everything else. Forget thinking about it. Forget timing. Forget taxes. And you and I have done some things over the years where, we, oh, let's wait until the next tax year before we take that money out, only to watch the market drop over that short time period. And, and it was a bad decision. So I think Nick says it well. Let's review some liquid and non-liquid assets. And we'll start with cash and fixed income in that category. Help us to understand what, what's liquid and what's not liquid in that department, Mike. So let's start with a simple example, cash versus a GIC. Now you can buy both those in a bank, so they're easy to buy. They're both very safe. They're both uh, secured. Uh, they'll be covered under CHMC co coverage, generally speaking, if you're below the, their maximum limits. But GICs lock you in for a period of time. If you buy a fixed rate GIC, it means you can't get your money if you need it. So the important part about that is not only when you need the money, but if opportunities arise along the way. So if you lock yourself in for a five-year GIC, you've committed to whatever rate you have set in for the next five years. And there may be opportunities that arise along the way. Five years is a long time. There might be some interesting things that happen. So think about people who bought a GIC last year. And the GIC rates last year, I believe five-year GIC rates were somewhere just under 2%. Uh, if I'm correct, I think they were coming 1.9. Depends on who you bought them from, but they were under the 2%. 
Right now, we're in an inflationary environment of around 8%, somewhere around there. So if you have that GIC, you are now losing buy-in power of 6% a year. And you're going to lose that for the next four years. If you just bought that as inflation came up, you're going to lose 4% a year for five years, right? So you're, you're going to lose 20% of your, or 6%, you're going to lose 30% of your buying power. And you don't have a choice. You can't do anything about it. You can't move. You can't take of opportunities in the stock market. If someone comes up with a great investment alternative, you can't go and move to that. You're stuck. So it's interesting if we go back and, you know, I'll do some simple math here. If you bought a GIC, let's say you were able to get a percent and a half uh, on your GIC for five years ago, last year, last, you know, prior to September, that's what the going rate for a five-year GIC. Yeah. So over that five-year period, five times one and a half percent a year, you're going to get seven and a half, just pure interest. Yeah. We won't include compounding to keep it simple. What could you get a five-year GIC today for? About 5%. So 5%. Yep. So over that five-year period, 5% times 5, you're getting 25% as opposed to the other one, you were just getting 7.5. Yep. So the best strategy would have been to buy a one-year GIC and then a four-year GIC now, and you'd be much further ahead. Yep. So why are we pointing this out? Because the GIC is illiquid. It's not a liquid investment until it matures. Now, you can buy a cashable GIC, but you wouldn't have got 1.5% a year ago, and you won't be getting 5% now on a cashable. They'll give you a lower rate because they're bearing some of the risk, not you. See, I like shopping at a place like Home Depot because they have a good return policy. And I know when I buy something, I'm not really committed to it, right? I can buy something at Home Depot or Canadian Tire. Never bring it home. I don't like it or the next week it doesn't feel good. I can go back to Home Depot and say, you know, this wasn't a good experience and I just want to go and undo that transaction because it wasn't a very good experience for me. GICs don't have that alternative. You go do it and if you get home and change your mind, it's not like you can undo that transaction. You're in there for the next five years. So if you buy a car, it's not really a, a, a liquid investment. Right? If you go buy a pair of shoes and you get home and you say, no, I don't like these shoes, you can return it. You buy a car, you can't really go back and return the car and get full value for that car. Yeah, but it's even more liquid than GICs. At least you can sell your car. You can't even sell a GIC, right? So you're just, you're just forced driving whatever you bought for the next five years. So what about bonds? Where do bonds fit in this whole fixed income category? Bonds are... Um Bonds are liquid. The one good part about bonds is they are sellable. We'll go back to the car scenario. You know, it may have some cost to go in and have to get rid of your car if you didn't like it, but circumstances change. You know, what if you buy, uh, you live in Florida and you buy a nice convertible and then your job goes and moves you up into Thunder Bay and now you have this, this convertible. What if you're stuck with that for five years? Doesn't work, right? You want the ability to sell that car and buy a four-wheel drive or, or SUV to be able to deal with a different environment. GICs give you none of that. At least bonds give you the alternative where if you decide that there's better alternatives that fit your needs better at the time, you can always sell that bond and purchase whatever you need to do. And it relatively low cost, to be honest. So we've talked about the fixed income and cash side, GICs, bonds versus cash. Let's talk about stocks versus mutual funds. Are they both liquid, number one? Uh, both liquid. 
Both are completely liquid. Yep. So you can sell the stock and the mutual fund. Which do you think you're going to get fair value for in all likelihood? Is there a risk that you're not going to get fair value for the mutual fund or a risk that you're not going to get fair value for the stock? Where's the bigger risk? Well, stocks do trade intraday. So stocks do have the ability to trade throughout the day. Mutual funds will have a close in value on the day. Uh, but they both can be pretty liquid. There's additional costs sometimes in stocks and depends on what type of stock you're trying to sell. If you're selling a big large cap company or a mega cap company, you're going to have very little liquidity risk or anything like that. If you want to start playing in smaller markets to get something a little bit more interesting on the stock side of things, you may have a lot of liquidity risks. You may not have buyers out there. So we have a lot of people that have over the years have tried buying, let's say, mining companies or anything like that. There's a massive liquidity risk in those because uh, they'll be at one price. And as soon as you go to sell them, the spread between the bid and ask is so big that you may get half the amount that you paid for it when you try to sell it. It won't show up on the screen, but there's no buyers out there. So you have to wait till the, uh, some buyer slips in to go buy your stock. We know stocks are much more volatile than mutual funds. So an individual stock is much more volatile. Let me give you another scenario. And I come across this a lot. Clients need, a client needs $20,000. If they're in a mutual fund portfolio, that's really simple. We take the $20,000, we go back to the previous conversation. You need the money, that's when you take it out. Take $20,000 out of a mutual fund. But let's say you're in a stock portfolio. And I say, well, let's take $20,000 out of Bell Canada or Royal Bank. What goes on with that discussion? What's that like with a client? Well, what people don't know is we can't put an order to our office to sell $20,000 worth of a stock. We have to figure out how many shares are going to be worth $20,000. And it's a moving target over the day because the price is going up and down. And we won't even get to foreign stocks because then you deal with currency fluctuations too. So if someone has, let's say, IBM down in the States and they want to sell it and they want $20,000 Canadian worth of IBM, you have a lot of calculations to do. The chance of hitting that dead on is almost zero. What about the emotional decision of selling a stock? Maybe you've had that Royal Bank stock for a long time. It's tough to go and sell shares in a stock for a liquid event. Shares in a mutual fund, that's really easy. Shares in a stock, not so easy to do. If you go through the history of, of stocks, I always, because we used to have some uh, older clients and a lot of times we get these portfolios and I always think of the, the old ladies with the Bell shares. Uh, a lot of people in Canada used to work for Bell and we'd have a lot of, I guess because women generally outlive men, we'd have a lot of women that would come in and they were 80 years old and they had Bell shares that they bought back in the 1950s. And every month they would get their dividend from Bell. It used to come in the mail. So they get their check, or it would be every quarter, basically. So every quarter they'd get their dividend check, come in the mail, they deposit it in their bank account. It was a very easy way for them to get money out of their portfolio. Because if you go back 30 or 40 years ago, the industry was not very efficient on how they would deliver income to people. It was to sell a stock. Nowadays, we have discount brokerages. It's, it's cheap to sell stocks. But if we go back even 20 years ago, there was a 1% commission every time you had to sell anything. And that was across the board. So, and 1% was cheap. So you pay a lot just to try to get at your own money. So a lot of people use these dividend-bearing stocks. And the costs were just prohibitive. 
uh, mutual funds offered a great alternative to this where you can get at your money basically for free. And you can create an income plan that suits you. Not, it doesn't have anything to do with how Bell is doing that month or if, if Bell is having a good year or a bad year because all these late ladies would have to adjust what they're spending according to how Bell if is Bell doing. dropped their dividend or, or increased their dividend, yeah. cash flow changes automatically. With the mutual fund, we don't really think of the dividend. We're totally concentrating on the total return. So it's easier to look after. And I always go into this with the, when we're talking to dividends and mutual funds. There's a lot of dividend-paying mutual funds out there. And people get very confused in this. So dividends on mutual funds are really immaterial. Uh, they're a distribution of income. But a lot of the dividend funds give you a, a, an amount they say they're going to pay you in a dividend or a distribution. But the problem is it doesn't really line up exactly with what the fund is going to make. And it may be correct. They may not pay out enough. And if the markets aren't doing well, that dividend is just going to come out of capital and it's going to reduce the value of the fund. So people get a little bit mixed up on that. So it sounds like mutual funds might be a better solution, certainly on the income side, or if you need if you need liquidity. From liquidity, absolutely. It's much easier to get it from a mutual fund than from a stock, at least emotionally anyways. Um, what about real estate? Is... Personal real estate, an, a liquid or an illiquid asset? Generally speaking, very illiquid. What about if the market's doing well? What about if the, the housing market is doing well? Is your house pretty liquid? It's, it's still great, but it's certainly not liquid. All depends on how many buyers want to live in your neighborhood, want to live on your street, want to live, you know, next to that neighbor, want to live, you know, if you've got a ravine in the back and there's just been a flood in the city two weeks prior, your house isn't that liquid right then and there. Well, the other difference is liquid investments that we buy that are liquid are always liquid. So if you own a mutual fund, no matter what the economy, even during the worst times of 2008, anyone wanted money, they get money. So they're always liquid. What's happened, we, as we've seen in the last year, if you would have asked about liquidity on houses a year ago, people would have argued that they're pretty liquid. You could put your house up for sale. It was gone in a week, right? They were relatively illiquid or relatively liquid. Right now, what we're seeing is real estate is sitting on the market for a long period of time. So real estate has moved from being, you know, uh, let's say one month to liquidity, and now it's moving to a much longer time to liquidity. So even because even when e-liquid investments become liquid for a period of time, still does not mean they're liquid investments. So I have a little story here. I have a client. He had a property um, in a small Ontario town, and it was worth about his value, 650000 So he wanted to sell it to liquidate it. Put it for sale, 650000 Not a lot of interest. He drops it to six twenty-five. dollars hmm, Not much interest. Drops it to six hundred. He eventually gets down to five fifty, dollars $100,000 less than he thought it was worth. There's still no interest. The investment right now, in his mind, is illiquid. He doesn't want to go any lower than that amount. And so he's just taken it off the market. That's one of the differences between liquid and illiquid. And as financial advisors, you and I have learned that clients' needs change. Things come up and they need liquidity. Well, everything is liquid at a certain price, but there's a price to get to liquidity. And that's where they're finding. He paid $100,000. He still hasn't hit liquidity yet. So there's a price to get to liquidity. And you don't want to buy liquidity afterwards. <laughs> he a, certainly doesn't want to, you know, he doesn't want to have to go down to $450,000 to sell $200,000 less than he thought it was worth. 
What about commercial real estate? Is it any better? Uh, commercial real estate, basically the same thing that you ha have. The commercial real estate end up in the same issues. I, I, when you buy commercial, uh, you're looking for income. And if you tend to go toward commercial real estate rather than a REIT, let's use commercial real estate versus REITs or any type of real estate versus REITs. REITs are a liquid version of real estate. It's a way to buy a bunch of pieces of real estate and have liquidity in them where you can buy and sell it uh, overnight. You can have, you know, if you want to sell a REIT today, you'll get the price for it and you get money out of it. When you have real estate, hard real estate investments, again, it's e-liquid to sell. And also you have things of, think if all of a sudden you bought a piece of property and all of a sudden uh, it becomes vacant or the person won't pay your rent. So now you have an illiquid asset that was supposed to pay you money that's no longer paying any cash flow, and you still can't sell it. You still have and, to maintain the property. You still have to pay property tax, all of those things on that property. And after doing this for a long period of time and seeing a lot of people with real estate experiences, I always tell everyone uh, when they want to do rental properties, 90% of the time, it's a great experience. It works out to be great. But the 10% of the time it isn't great makes up for the 90% that it is great. Because when people have a bad real estate experience, they not only not get paid from the tenant, the tenant won't leave. So you and I believe 100% that our clients' portfolios need to be liquid. We try and avoid illiquid investments. We've been through some over the years, labor-sponsored funds that you know, where they closed the fund down. Uh, we had some real estate properties very early on in, in, uh, when we started in the business. That was illiquid. That was really tough. We, we also had some partnerships, limited partnerships, extremely illiquid. I have a client that's had this limited partnership now for 25 years. He doesn't know if it'll ever be liquid. In 30 years, have we ever had a good experience with the illiquid investment? Not many. Not many. That brings us to the end of another week. Thank you for joining us. If you're looking for a financial advisor, visit our website at tmfg.ca or call us at 905-771-5200. This episode has been brought to you by the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management, reminding you to live the life that makes you happy. You've been listening to the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management Limited. Asante Capital Management Limited is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. Insurance products and services are provided through Asante Estate and Insurance Services Incorporated. This material is provided for general information and is subject to change without notice. Every effort has been made to compile this material from reliable sources. However, no warranty can be made as to its accuracy or completeness. Before acting on any of the previous information, please make sure to see a professional advisor for individual financial advice based on your personal circumstances. The opinions expressed are those of the authors and not necessarily those of Asante Capital Management Limited.